Almighty God, on this day you opened the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. Shed abroad this gift throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel, that it may reach to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. That's the collect appointed for today, the day of Pentecost, <clears throat> June the 5th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We've, um, it's the birthday of the church. So in a lot of um, Anglican uh, churches, at least, what you would find when you went in would be sometimes they would tie balloons together. So fill the balloons with helium, spread them across the back of the pews, and they're in the air above, and it's a birthday celebration for the church. But at the same time, those are in, those are typically those are red balloons, and they're there to signify these tongues of fire that we're going to see this day. So anyway, just a little bit of background on on how some, at least my tradition, handled um, Pentecost. But yes, it's been a pretty good week. It's been um, nice week actually. Um, I'm having a lot of back pain at the moment, and I don't know what I've done to cause that, but I think it's because I'm doing a lot of stretching, and so some of the things in my body needed to be stretched. The the hip flexors and other things tend to get really tight and short, and then when you start having hip flexor problems, then it's causing uh, back pain as well. And so anyway, it's been a I've walked gingerly sometimes, let's say. But as long as I walk, it's all fine. If I go, if I sit for too long, then it's a problem. But uh, anyway, I'm going to get that taken care of. And I go to see chiropractor here in about 10 days, so that'll be good. But uh, anyway, so just we had a pretty good week. Nothing exciting going on, I don't think. Um, just sort of got through the week and did, you know, we walked some. We ran into friends in different places and enjoyed our week and seeing people and, and uh, being together. So anyway, it's, it is Pentecost. The Easter season season finishes today. It's seven weeks and one day after Easter. So we're 49 days. There's a tradition in, uh, not a tradition, it's a commandment actually in, um, in Judaism to count each day. And so it's called counting the Omer. And so when you count the Omer every day, and then you know how long it is. And so in Judaism, it also celebrates the giving of the law, uh, which they define as seven weeks after they left Egypt. Then the giving of the law is undertaken at Sinai. So they're celebrating multiple things on this day within Judaism because you get it's a harvest festival. Um, There are not too many Jewish farmers who are bringing produce, though. Uh, and, and they wouldn't bring it anyway because there's no temple to bring it to, and it was intended to be brought to the temple. And so over time, it, it's it's accreted other meanings, and so the giving of the law is celebrated uh, on this day as well as the death of King David. And so on this day in Judaism, everywhere all over the world, they read um, the story of Ruth, who would be David's great-grandmother, uh, and they read that because the belief that David died on uh, Shavuot, which is Pentecost. So that, that those are the traditions there. And, and it, as always within Judaism, there, the tradition exists, but not the explanation of the particular tradition. Um, so it's funny because so, so then you can have a lot of opinions about why the book of Ruth is read on Pentecost. Like I said, it, it, it can be because she is David's great-grandmother, which is our great-grandmother, which is okay. Well, whatever. Um, but the other side of it is, is that that what they see is, is that Ruth accepts Torah 
accepts the law just like they did at Sinai, which is to say she agreed to be obedient, she agreed to do, and then to learn. So she trusted the giver of the law was good so that the law itself must be as well. So she received it in the same way, and so that's another reason that they will say, oh, this is it. It's, it's because she received Torah just like we did. And, and so nobody, there, there's no settled long-term opinion about that. The other thing is it's, it's, it's a marriage ceremony. And, and the reason that they celebrate that as though it were a marriage ceremony is a covenant that existed between uh, the people and the Lord. It's, it's the only religion that's founded on a revelation of sight and sound given to 600,000 people at least, all at the same time. Other religions are based on a revelation to a person. On, on, on a specific time, rather than a revelation given to a large number of people at the same time. That differentiates Judaism from and Christianity, therefore, from almost every other world religion, because this is a place where people, many people, heard at the same time, which is something that happens at Pentecost. And it's all that it all of it occurs in the backdrop of, of this dramatic sight and sound extravaganza, I guess you could say, that's going on all around. And it's interesting that, that in Judaism, one of the things that they will say about what happens at uh, the giving of the law is, is that there, there's more to it than meets the eye. In, in fact, there's more to it than meets the ear is a better way to say it because the the way Exodus 2015 happens actually the way that the 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 translations are kind of conceals something here it what it said is all the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning the blare of the shofar and the mountain smoking and when the people saw it they fell back and stood at a distance so that word witnessed all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning actually the literal translation there which which causes people not to translate it this way is is they saw they saw the thunder and the lightning they saw the blare of the shofar and the mountain smoking so some of those things are auditory right i mean you see do you see thunder do you see the blare of the shofar no but what it what it's what they believe is is there's something more to it than just auditory, that there was there was also a, a spiritual overload that happens here, and they see things that that are usually only heard, and so what they're saying is that it's a transcendent, miraculous one-time event, which is the hearing of the voice of God Himself, and so all of this stuff happens, and, and the belief among Jews is is that that this rumblings and flashes and all that happened all over creation when Torah was given. They also believe that that at Sinai that the Torah was heard in all 70 languages of the 70 nations that you see coming out of um, Genesis 10 and 11. And so what happened was that, that they believed that this this revelation was given not just in Hebrew, which is God's language, according to the Jews, but also in all languages, because it's for all people. But, but what they see is that there's this marriage covenant and ceremony that is solemnized here at Mount Sinai with, with 
taking vows and and understanding the parameters of that relationship and the other thing they believe because the the language is such that that the mountain actually the way it describes it is they came under the mountain in other words god picked it up and held it over them and that's where you get the tradition of the huppah that you get married under that little uh, sort of um what do you call it a little tent sort of a thing and and so that it, it symbolizes the covenant of god and his people at sinai and so there's this tradition, though, that, that it's spoken in all 70 languages, even though they didn't speak those 70 languages. But there's a tradition that believes that. And, and so what they also see then is a teaching that, that this Torah is not just for the Jews. It was intended for the entire world. So in order to do that, they had, a, had to have the, the revelation in those 70 languages. And so those were the 70 languages, again, that relate back to Genesis 10 and 11 at the time of Babel when God confused the languages of the earth. So that's just some of the backdrop to what we're going to talk about today. So anyway, the first lesson is Genesis 11, 1 to 9, which is the Tower of Babel. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, because they came east out of Eden, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So the the. The commandment was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But here what you got is humanity's rebellion against God and a determination not to be dispersed across the face of the earth, but not to go horizontal, but to go vertical into the heavens to make a name for themselves in the heavens. The point was to make God's name known horizontally across the earth. Instead, what they're trying to do is exalt themselves into the heavens and, and let their name ascend into God's realm, rather than God descending into man's realm. And so the, the sin is the, the negation of the commandment given to humanity to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So the sin is, is this coming together for a purpose, but the purpose isn't God's purpose. The purpose is man's purpose. So they, they didn't specifically didn't want to be dispersed across the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. So in, in other words, they're trying to build a tower that goes into the heavens, but God has to come down to see this tower. It's not accomplishing the purpose for which they intended it. It's not going to get into God's realm. It's not going to get into his heavenly kingdom. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. So God has to confuse the languages. He says, Come down, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So that the the point is, is that, that God says that if the people are one, if they, if they come together and they form behind one purpose, then they have great power. So how do we fix this? Well, the easiest and quickest way to fix it is to give them different languages and separate them from one another. And they'll take pride each in their own language, and they'll separate themselves from the others 
in that pride. And so the goal was accomplished. So they did. They couldn't understand one another, so they stopped cooperating one with another because they couldn't understand it. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, which is exactly what their great fear was. The one thing they didn't want to happen, they wanted to build a city and a tower. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They didn't want to be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so what God did was made sure that they did exactly that because that was the commandment that he had given them. So they dispersed and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of of the earth. And so those nations are now dispersed across the face of the earth. And, and so no longer are we looking to build these towers into the skies to make a name for ourselves to go all the way into the heavens. Now, we have certainly built towers. There's no question that we've done that. Um, but, but we haven't built them into the sky in order to make a name for ourselves, although we continue to do exactly those kinds of things to try and make a name for ourselves. We, we will do almost anything to make a name for ourselves, but, but the reality is we're not going to have that kind of um, cooperation one with another. And the, even though there certainly are people who are angling for and advocating for that sort of globalist idea of, of bringing the nations together, but, but it's not trying to bring the nations together under God. And there's the fatal flaw in all things is is that that when man rejects god or or denies god then we haven't made the progress we think we've made we we've simply just rejected truth and and that's one of the things i think that that we can see in this and god's word is intended to unite people we're intended to be united in order to make his name great to make jesus's name great that's the point for what we are intended to do it's not to make a name for ourselves it's to proclaim his name and his greatness all across the earth so so the mission of the church is exactly the opposite of the mission of the world the the world's mission is to make my name great God's mission, the church's mission, is to make the name of Jesus great. And we've, we've got to make sure we keep those two things separate. And I understand the, the rationale behind building great cathedrals and all that kind of stuff. Um, I also understand the movement against building great cathedrals. I understand both those things. Um, one of the things that I always appreciated in, in one of the churches that I served in was that there, there was a refusal there to when people gave things like, offering plates or or communion stuff that there was a, a complete prohibition against having anybody's name put on anything because that's not the point of the church that i've been in plenty of churches though where people were celebrated greatly in multiple ways but that's not the way it's intended to be in the church everything is to be done for the glory of god not for the glory of john green <laughs> that is or anybody else and, and it's easy to lose sight of that it's really, really easy to lose sight of the fact that, that our job is to make the name of Jesus great in all the world. In the gospel today, Philip, the disciple, says to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Can you imagine the, the pain that must have caused Jesus? Show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So either believe my words or believe my deeds. Either believe the miracles, the signs that you've seen done. Don't those signs tell you something? Those signs are intended to point you in a particular direction. They're intended to point you to the, in the direction of truth, and that is God himself is doing these things and speaking these things through his servant, his son, Jesus. And it, it would have been crushing. Philip was one of the very first people to follow Jesus. He came because John pointed him out. And now here, after all this time, on the night that Jesus is going to be tried, Philip shows that, that whatever he believes it's fundamentally, deeply inadequate. He believes the, the Son, he believes something here, but, but he doesn't understand the unity. And that's the other point of the, the 70 languages being given, is to show the, the, the unity and the brotherhood of mankind. In other words, that this Torah is not just for the Jewish people, it's for all people who are created in God's image. And so that unity of the church is intended to mirror the unity of God himself. And so we, we've got to preserve that unity, but first we have to understand the unity we're preserving. It's the unity, the oneness of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so he goes on and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will I do, because he's going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so that the, Jesus is saying that, that the, the reason that these things will, will come to pass, the reason your prayers will be answered, that the reason that you'll do greater works is because those point to me living in you through the power of the Holy Spirit in the same way that the things that that Jesus did proved the Father was in him. And so that's the intention, is that, that, that the unity of a believer and the believing community in particular, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that the unity of that community and the unity of that community with its founder will result in greater things being done in order to authenticate the church and glorify the name of Jesus, who is the bridegroom. So we should expect great things. We should expect to see miracles occurring. There's no question that that was what Jesus intended, was to see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was there for teaching and understanding, but it's also to continue the mission Jesus began. And, and if miracles were a part of what Jesus did, then why would his church not believe in, expect, and long for those same things? He's the same God. <clears throat> he goes on to say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We've talked about that before, that, the way that, that one of the ways in which I showed I loved my parents was to, was to keep the commandments they gave me. Do this, don't do that. 
right? I mean, those are the ways that I showed that I loved my parents. And when I didn't do those things, I was showing that I'd gotten too big for my britches or I knew something they didn't know. And so I no longer was showing love for them. I didn't show that I trusted them. And that's where Ruth and the people of Israel, um, with their proclamation, with their words, I will keep your commandments as I learned them. And whatever you tell me to do, I'll just do that. That's the way that they showed they loved him and trusted him after all they had seen in Egypt and his pulling them out and the the events of the Red Sea. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So he's not just in your midst, he's in you as people. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but this helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. You don't have to worry about trying to remember all this stuff. The Holy Spirit is going to be in you and he's going to bring this stuff so that you know it. it. It'll come back. Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let me, not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so over these last weeks, Suzanne and I have experienced this peace, the peace that only Jesus can give, not that the world can give, but the peace that Jesus alone can give. And we've experienced it because we've clung to him in ways that we don't ordinarily. When you lose a child, you you cling to him because there's no answer on earth nobody can say anything that that would make anything better i was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and at the funeral home people would come up and say john i still don't know what to say and, and my response to him all was the same thing you don't need to say anything the, the the you standing here in front of me says everything i need to hear that you care that you love us because you can't tell me why this happened you we don't have answers for those things And so the eloquence of love being there for somebody in those situations is the most important thing. It shows that we are unified with that person. That's why Paul says, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. There's a reason for that. It shows that we are unity in spirit. That if you're hurting, so am I. That, that's the expression of the unity of the church, is its willingness to be with one another in whatever situation we happen to be in. But the peace that, that we got, the peace that we still have, comes directly from Jesus telling us things. I mean, I don't often hear from God. That's not a normal thing in my life, but, but in the last two months— We've had very specific, very direct revelations, very important things that have been spoken to us that let us know that Will's good to go, that he's with me and all is well. And so I can know with certainty that I will be with him one day. And that's more important to me than having him here now. That's the honest truth. I'd rather know that than have him here today. That's way more important to me. And so I can take peace, and I can take comfort in that, and the world can't give me that peace because it doesn't believe these things. The world believes this is all there is. There ain't no mo. We don't believe that as Christians. 
our declaration is, no, 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 this is only prelude. No, the real thing lies ahead. And it's glorious and wonderful, but only for one reason, because of Jesus. I can make much of myself and just die and go straight to hell and nothing happen again. But if I make much of Jesus, then I have eternal life. And I have eternal life because of Jesus. So I have to make much of him, right? I mean, I don't think I have any choice. And and here on the day of Pentecost, so as I said, in Judaism, they celebrate the giving of the law. Here we're celebrating the giving of the Spirit. And as they celebrate the marriage of the nation with God on this day, we celebrate the birth of the church. And we anticipate the marriage supper of the Lamb which will be in the end. But we celebrate it in part now. We bring the future, the eschaton, the, the end time stuff, the, the, the uh, ultimate future, we bring that into the presence in our worship. We're celebrating the fact that we know this will be because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we do so through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we worship, then we are doing in small part exactly what we will be doing later. We're joining heaven, and we're worshiping his name and making it great and proclaiming it across the earth. And and that's the job the church was given to do. So here in the Acts lesson, when the day of Pentecost arrived, as I said, it's a, it's a pilgrim feast. They were the the uh, people in the land were intended to go to Jerusalem for this feast, and it, and it was right at the beginning of the harvest, and so there was there was great joy that God had done everything necessary to for this harvest to be good. So they came together, they, the believers, were together in one place. We don't know how many people are here. We think it's about 120 people, but we're not sure because we're not told. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so the same thing that happened at Sinai, this extravaganza of sight and sound, appears. But, but it's appearing on the believers, not on the mountain on the believers, on the apostles. And so as this begins to happen, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven because of the dispersion, because of what had happened um, with the Assyrian takeover of the northern kingdom, and then what had happened when they got exiled to Babylon. Some of those people didn't come back. Some of them scattered across the earth, and now during the Roman occupation, they are further scattered. And so what we get is these people from every nation under heaven. Remember what I talked to you about earlier, about the 70 languages, the 70 nations from the table of nations in Genesis 10. Now those people are here in Jerusalem. So they came together and they were bewildered because each was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, I don't have to understand and I don't have to comment too much on what happened here. Are these guys speaking in, quote, tongues like glossolalia, in other words, not known languages, or are they, and then, therefore, it's translated by the Holy Spirit to the ears and the hearts of those who hear it, or... Are they literally speaking in those languages? So we don't know which it is, but what we do know is, is is the message is clearly being proclaimed to all who are there 
in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, aren't all these speaking Galileans? How is it then that we hear each of us in our own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. So if you work yourself out um, east and north, then you're going to find all these people that they're talking about. You're going to run into all these people. And so we're from everybody in the, quote, known world, or the places that are important at least, are here. And we're hearing all this proclaimed in our own languages. And so at Pentecost, at at the initial Shavuos, which is at Sinai, that's proclaimed in the 70 languages of the earth according to Jewish tradition. Now, according to Jewish tradition, keep hearing that. And then the other tradition is is that Moses in Deuteronomy expounds on the word there on the plains of Moab, outside Moab. That's how we even get Balaam into the story is that's where Israel camped before the death of Moses was in the plains of Moab. And so there, when he expounds on the Torah, what we're also then told by tradition is, is that that means that he, he is writing it all out, all the oral tradition and everything else, in those 70 languages. I mean, that's their belief, okay? I'm not saying that's biblical, but, but what I try to get at with this stuff is, is that, that I believe that as long as you're continuing to search and seek and ask God for truth, and he'll continue to reveal it to you, if you've rejected Jesus as the ultimate answer, that doesn't keep God from revealing it to you and trying to get you to see it. And so here what we get is, is all these nations, it says, under the earth. And, and you know, that's not exactly the way. We, we wouldn't say that's true in, the, in, in a sense of, of uh, there were no nations outside the ones listed here. But, but what we see is this is every nation under heaven, and then it's these. And it's, so it's those nations that were listed in the table of nations. And so the reason for giving it at Sinai is not simply that, okay, so let's say, let's take that tradition and say, why was it given in 70 languages? Well, in case there were other people there, but also to show the Jews that this is applicable to every nation on earth. And so translation is not something you can't do. And so then the, the most important thing, so now they're amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, this is the important question we always need to ask, right? What does it mean? What does this mean? What we're seeing today, what does this mean? Meaning matters. And, and that's the thing that, that is the focus in this is what does this mean? And then other clowns mock them and said they're filled with new wine. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, so he's saying this is the meaning of this. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. That's what he's saying. Peter says, you want to know the meaning of this? It's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy of Joel. 
Now, we don't, we can't date the prophecy of Joel. There, there, there are multiple disagreements on when this is. It doesn't matter here at the end of the day because Peter immediately knows the meaning of this. You want to see the Holy Spirit moving in somebody very clearly. It's Peter right here who knows automatically what this means. He reaches out and he grabs the prophecy of Joel and he says, here's what it means. It means the Holy Spirit's being poured out on all flesh. And he says that it's going to apply to everybody, sons and daughters, young men, old men, servants, everybody. It's not going to be limited to a leader. It's going to be everybody. I'm going to pour out my spirit on them. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And notice there's one name, and he's going to say this later when he has to go before the Sanhedrin. There's only one name given under heaven by which a man might be saved. And so he says it's important that the proclamation of that name go forth over all the earth, because it's the only name given under heaven by which a man might be saved. So the intention now is to restore the unity of the people of the earth under the banner of Jesus Christ. And that's why now we see this proclamation going out from these Galileans and being received in every language from where these people came. Because this gospel, this word of God, this all of it, is one. And it's intended to bring about the unity of the people of God, those who are called by his name, those who take the name of Jesus, who believe that in the sacrifice of his life on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension to heaven, that his name is the only name that ultimately matters. And it matters ultimately, and it matters eternally. And so what the, the, the point of testimony is the bringing together of, a, of people all over the world under the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit in order that we might go and proclaim it to all the world that all those he calls to himself might receive it and we might participate in the work of God in extending his kingdom across the earth and and he has given his spirit to his church to empower that activity in the world until the coming again of Jesus and so if we're in churches then we need to be sure and we need to be clear that we believe that everything worthwhile that can be accomplished is only accomplished in the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glorification of the name of Jesus just as happened here on the day of Pentecost when people began to hear the word of God and therefore they could hear it even though they were pilgrims and didn't understand that maybe the Galilean dialect, they heard the gospel plainly in, in their heart languages and now they could go and take this message back and across to all the world. And, and that's a call on each of our lives. We all make interpretation of scripture right? So we don't just quote it straight up. We are interpreting it. We're expounding it to ourselves. And then we're, we're, our goal is to take what it is the Spirit teaches us and then teach others. And so we each have something unique to bring to the table because we're all unique individuals. The Word of God is one, but the way that we share it 
is unique to us. And so the thing that we should do this day is say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit that I might be a better witness to the people you send me to, that I might speak it in their heart language. Whatever that might be, Lord, you know the way to carry it to people's hearts best. You know their needs. You know their hearts in ways that I can never know. And so I pray, Lord, that you would come and be with me today and help me to be a better vessel by the power of your Holy Spirit, teaching me how to communicate the truths of the gospel so that other people can hear them in their own love language or heart language. Blessings and peace in the name of Jesus.